This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Take a look at why do we ordain pastors? What's the purpose behind that? Uh, Acts chapter 13 kind of gives us uh, kind of a little bit of window into that. And we'll take a look at some other passages of scripture as well uh, here tonight. So uh, grab your Bible, start at Acts 13, chapter number, uh, Acts chapter number 13. We're going to start in verse number one. (laughs) We see in Acts chapter 13, verse number one. Now, there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaean had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost separate, said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed unto Cyprus. So here we see in the early church, uh, the church of Antioch, which would have been the first church to ever send people out of their church to go elsewhere to preach the gospel. We would call this missions, uh, where people leave the local church to go to a different place where the gospel is not being preached for the purpose of preaching the gospel. But before the missionaries were sent out, you notice in this passage something unique happened first. First, you see the church leadership gathered together. They recognized the calling on uh, Barnabas and Saul. From there, they laid hands on them, they prayed for them, and then they sent them out from there. And so we kind of see this as kind of the, one of the first ordinations that took place uh, in the local church. Paul would later tell Titus and also Timothy, uh, here's the guidelines for ordination and how you ordain uh, pastors to gospel ministry. It's important to understand this is a little bit of a review from last week, but it's important before any pastor would be ordained, a pastor must first be qualified. Uh, if you're taking notes tonight, and I highly recommend that you do, write out to the side in your notes there, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And Titus chapter 1, both of these outline the qualifications uh, of a pastor. If a pastor does not meet the qualifications listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, then it stops there. That person cannot biblically be called a pastor. First of all, they have to meet the qualifications. So first thing, a pastoral candidate uh, for ordination must be biblically qualified. Now, who gets to determine who's qualified and not? I don't, you don't, only the scriptures do. And so again, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, who can be a pastor, it lines out who can do that. Now, again, whether or not you think, you or I think someone should be or could be or would be a, a good pastor or a bad pastor, that's not necessarily up for debate if the person is not biblically qualified. Uh, if the person has disqualified themselves from pastoral ministry, it's important to understand it doesn't mean this person can't be used of God. It doesn't mean this person can't uh, be used to lead people to Christ or to teach a Sunday school class or to uh, be able to be a leader in the church in any way. It just means that they can't hold the office of the pastor. Uh, And so, again, biblically disqualified uh, means disqualified altogether. Uh, Next, the pastoral candidate must exhibit pastoral giftings. We took a look at last week, and one of the, uh, the responsibilities and roles of the pastor is to oversee uh, is to be able to shepherd people and also at the same time be able to uh, communicate and teach the word. 
If a pastor doesn't meet those uh, requirements they, and they don't have those giftings, maybe that's something that they can grow in. For example, for me, I'm not, I would not consider myself a great leader. I'm not one of those persons that has flowcharts for my flowcharts or spreadsheets with spreadsheets inside of them. That's just not me. Uh, if somebody says, uh, what's the five-year plan for who we call a Baptist church? Uh, I'll make it really simple for you. Go, win, baptize, teach. That's the five-year plan. What's the 15-year plan? Go in, baptize, preach. What else you got? That's all I got. And so uh, I'm, I'm just kind of, I guess you could say, as a leader, I'm not necessarily a visionary. And again, I don't think in the scriptures that a pastor has to be a visionary or anything like that. But they have to be able to oversee. They have to be able to provide some semblance of, of order and, and orderliness and, and uh, some level of normalcy to, to pastoral ministry. If you have a person who's completely and totally disarrayed in every area of their life, uh, you have somebody who uh, struggles to balance their checkbook, somebody who uh, struggles to brush their hair in the morning, probably not the best candidate for, for a pastor because this person has to be able to lead, oversee, uh, help people get their life back on track with the Bible. Uh, they have to be able to shepherd people. They have to be able to give good biblical wisdom and good biblical advice and counsel to people. Uh, they have to be able to bring peace and unity into the church where it might be lacking. And so this person must exhibit these types of giftings, and we have to be able to see that before we can say that this person would be qualified to be a pastoral candidate. Also, pastoral candidate must have a track record of making disciples, and they also must exhibit spiritual fruit. Now, again, this kind of seems like a no-brainer, uh, but if you're going to have a shepherd who's going to be leading and feeding, then before he's a shepherd, he should also be leading and feeding. Can this person fulfill this role? Do, are they a disciple maker? If not, titles don't make disciples people do. I've known people before like, oh, if he's given a role of, of, of pastoral ministry, maybe he'll step into that role and grow. That's not how it works. Again, you see Paul and Barnabas uh, who were at the church at Antioch, they were already making disciples. They were already preaching the word. They were already uh, encouraging and living out their faith in a real tangible way. And the Holy Ghost says, I've got a, a different way for you to live that out. Not a matter of like, well, I hope Paul and Barnabas can, can rise to the occasion and actually do something for Christ because they're not currently. And so, again, when we look at someone to ordain, we have to say, is this person biblically qualified? Do they have the giftings, and do they have spiritual fruit, and are they making disciples? Um, over a year ago now, uh, Trey sat in my office, and we were talking about uh, the opportunity for him and his family to come here and serve at Huicala with our family. Uh, and we're talking through things and stuff like that. I said, when you come here, you're going to be coming as a pastoral assistant, that's not an assistant pastor, that's a pastoral assistant. That means that you're going to be my right-hand man, whatever I need you to do, I'm going to need you to do it. And I said, when it comes down to it, there's two people on the, the church staff. There's me and there's you. And if I don't do it, you're going to do it. If you don't do it, I got to do it. And so uh, it might be taking out the trash. It might be discipling somebody. Uh, it might be preaching on a Sunday morning. It might be leading a small group. But basically, when it comes down to it, I need you to, to serve. And he said, okay. Now, at, at the church that he came from, Canyon Ridge Baptist Church, he had, had been given the title of assistant pastor, had not been ordained. Again, every church does it differently, but he had a title. When he came here, a title that someone else had given him didn't really hold a lot of weight for me. Now, again, I have great respect for uh, Pastor Chris Chavik. I have great respect for the Canyon Ridge Baptist Church. If you're ever in San Diego, that's the church to go to, in my opinion. But just because somebody else says that this person can get this title doesn't necessarily mean that I would be willing to say this person is, is, is fitted for this role. And so as I talked with him, I said, if, first of all, if the idea of the title of assistant to the pastor or pastoral assistant, if that bothers you or rubs you the wrong way, this probably isn't the right place for you. 
He says, I don't have a problem with that at all. Good. Uh, because again, if you get hung up on titles and what people call you or uh, a line that's on the bottom of your email or the line on the bottom of your business card, pastoral ministry probably isn't the right thing for you. If you need to be called by a certain title or a name to get work done, it's not the right fit for us. And so he said, I don't have a problem at all with any titles. Good. And I said, here's my goal is that within one year, we will be able to see fruit in your life, pastoral giftings, uh, and we'll be able to say, this guy is prepared and ready for pastoral ministry. Now, again, I think that's wise because uh, uh, Paul even tells Timothy to lay hands on no man suddenly. In other words, don't put somebody in a position of authority if they don't have a track record of faithfulness, if they haven't proven themselves. And so uh, I believe that, that that was the wise approach to take. And it was just kind of a wait and see. And I told him, I said, I have no, no doubt in my mind that you'll prove yourself in that period of time that hopefully within a year's time, uh, we'll actually be able to ordain you as a pastor here at who we call a Baptist church. And then you can fulfill the office and the role of assistant pastor in our church. So it's what we agreed upon. And within, literally within 90 days, I began to see fruit in his life. I began to see people that he had had just met that he was beginning to disciple and bring along on their faith journey. I began to see him shepherding and loving and caring for people. I saw him getting teams of people together and getting stuff done. I saw him with the ability to be able to oversee uh, I told him uh, early on one of the things that I couldn't figure out if it, if it, if it rubbed me the wrong way or I liked it uh, was I would say, hey, Trey, the, the wood pile out back here by the dumpster needs to be organized. He says, no problem. I'm on it. And then like 30 minutes later, I come and Alex Michael's rearranging the wood pile. <laughs> I'm not sure if I like this or not. <laughs> I like the fact that he delegated and got somebody to, to do the work. I don't like the fact that I told him to do it and he got somebody else to do it. But, but I looked at it, I was like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. That's what sh- overseers do. Overseers shouldn't be rearranging wood piles. Overseers should be able to find people that can rearrange wood piles for us, right? And, and so, again, very early on I saw that and I thought, hmm, I, I see that. I see it at work. And so, again, it was, this has been a, a period of time where uh, the deacons and I have met together at least once a month and talked about the, the growth that we see in his life and the things that we see in his life and things that would be pastoral giftings. We also take a look at areas where he needs to grow. We talk about those and discuss those. I've discussed those with Trey. But at the end of the day, we came away and, came and said, we believe that this guy has, is, first of all, biblically qualified 100%. Second of all, he's shown pastoral giftings and the ability to oversee, the ability to lead, uh, the, the ability to disciple, the, the ability to cultivate spiritual fruit. And now we believe that this person is ready for pastoral candidacy. Now, again, it's a matter, first of all, of the local church identifying people who would be candidates for the office of a pastor. Every church does it differently, and again, this is how Hui College does it, the process that I just explained to you. Some churches, basically, if you take over a, a, a ministry role or position, you automatically get the title of, of youth pastor. For example, if you watch the teens on Sunday night to make sure that they don't kill each other uh, and you order pizza once a month, you are the youth pastor. I use that in air quotes. Now, have you had theological training? Do you understand the Bible? Do you have the capability to be an overseer, to be a shepherd, uh, to, to be one who is a protector of the flock? Probably not. We probably just found somebody who has Wednesday nights off. We threw them in a roll and we said, hey, order pizza, we'll pay for it, right? That doesn't make a youth pastor. Uh, some some uh, Bible colleges, not the one that I went to or anyone that I would even respect, 
uh, upon graduation, ordains all of the uh, graduates to pastoral ministry. I don't agree with that because, again, uh, it's not the job of a college to ordain pastors. It's the job of a local church to ordain pastors. Uh, and so, again, uh, every, everybody does it differently. Sometimes people just give somebody a, a title. Uh, hey, you are now a pastor. And so uh, we, we take, took your name tag and we put the, the word pastor in front of your, your first name. Uh, and, and now you're, people can just call you pastor. Again, I don't think that that takes into account the weight and the gravity of the office of the pastor, what that really means, what you're responsible to God for, making sure that you have met the stringent requirements and the strict requirements that God has for the office of a pastor. I don't believe that that's a, a biblical way to handle it, but at the end of the day, uh, I pastor the Who We Call a Baptist Church, and that's how we do it here. Somebody does it differently, that's between them and the Lord. Uh, but I believe that this is the, the wise way to go about it. I don't believe it's wise that you have a 21-year-old kid that just graduated Bible college last week and we're going to call him, you know, Pastor Cletus. I don't think that that's wise. I think that we've got to come up with, with something, uh, a little bit better process for that. And so, again, here's how we find it in Scripture. The, the church recognizes these individuals, recognizes their pastoral giftings, sees spiritual fruit in their life, and then recommends them for uh, the office of a pastor. Now, you might look around our church and say, well, I, I see people in our church that have pastoral giftings, who have the ability to oversee, the ability uh, to maybe administrate, the ability to, to lead a group of people, the, uh, the opportunity to be able to encourage people or to give people good biblical advice, and I 100% agree that leads us to secondly, the pastor not only needs to be qualified, the pastor also needs to be called. Now, when we get into calling, it's kind of uh, one of those uh, things that we really need to be clear about how God calls. Uh, pastoral ministry is not simply a title change, but it's actually a high calling. That's why we're not just going to say, hey, uh, starting today, going forward, you can call Trey Pastor Trey if you want to. It's a little bit deeper than that. If we're going to say that this person is set apart for pastoral ministry and we say that this person has met all the requirements, then they need to make sure that they've not only fulfilled the requirements in the past and up to, the, to now, but going forward that they continue to fill the requirements and they continue to fill the office and the role. And that is a high calling. It's not something that people should get into because they, they like to talk or they like to be in front of people or they like to be in charge or they like to lead groups or I think this would be better than the job that I currently have or uh, you know, I don't know how much money a pastor makes, but it may, might be more than what I'm currently making uh, at Piggly Wiggly bagging, bagging groceries. Uh, but some of you don't even know what a Piggly Wiggly is. That's so sad. Uh, but, but again, it's not a career change. It's not a shift to a, a better way of life or anything like that. It's I want to serve God's people. I want to love the local church with the rest of my life, with every fiber of my being. Pastoral ministry is not simply a title change, but it's a high calling. It's important when we talk about the calling of a pastor that God doesn't call audibly anymore. That would make life so much easier, right? If God just spoke the way that he talked to, to Abraham, says, hey, Abraham, get up, get up, get out, get moving, and Abraham says, on it. God spoke to us the way that he did Moses. And he says, hey, Moses, I need you to go and set my people free. Moses says, I'm not a good talker. He says, it's okay, Aaron, I'll go with you. Just go. And Moses just went. That would be so easy, wouldn't it? But God doesn't speak audibly anymore. How does God speak to us? Somebody help me. Through the word, 100%, all the time. God speaks through his word. And so you say, well, I'm struggling to find a verse in the Bible that says I should be a pastor. You're not going to find it there. Uh, but calling begins, first of all, with submission and willingness. <laughs> I often ask people, 
hey, if God called you to be a missionary to China, would you go? And I think most Christians in this room that love Jesus would say, yes, absolutely. If God called me to be a missionary to China, I would go. Okay, my next question, my follow-up question to that. How would you know that he called you to be a missionary to China? And then you get like a lot of blank stares, like, uh, I would just know. Okay, how? It's just one of those things that like you just know, right? I don't know. I don't know, you know? How would you know? First of all, it takes the real deal willingness and surrender. Hey, if God wanted me to do it, I would do it like tomorrow afternoon if it's what he called me to do. If God called me to sell everything that I have and move to China and learn Mandarin or Cantonese, I would do that if I really felt like that was what God wanted me to do. And then the question I have, would you really? Because if, if that's true, a true statement, be careful because God has a lot of places that you could serve. And again, I don't know where you think that missionaries to China or missionaries to India or missionaries to the Philippines come from, but there's not a missionary factory somewhere on the mainland that just like cranks them out, you know? They come from local churches of regular people who say, if God could use me, I would go. Well, it's obvious that God could use you. So oftentimes people say, well, you know, if God called me to go, I would go. Do you know for sure that God's called you to stay? It's a better question than I have. To the, to the men in this room that are biblically qualified for the office of the pastor, would you fulfill that role if it's what God called you to? I hope the answer to that would be yes. Because here's the fact of the matter. The kingdom needs more laborers. Here's what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. He says in the book of John, John chapter 4, look upon the harvest. The fields are white already into the harvest. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Now, do you think there's been a labor explosion of people willing to work for the kingdom in the past 2,000 years? No, if anything has gone, it's regressed. As we've created this cultural Christianity where Christianity is all about me and church is all about me and what I can get from it. So if there was a labor shortage 2,000 years ago, I'd say we continue to be in a, a labor shortage as well. So we need more people who are willing to say, I'm willing to go. Now, these people need to, first of all, be identified. Second of all, they need to be trained. Third of all, they need to be released to actually go and do the work that God's called them to do. But the fact of the matter is, I can't fathom that God wants to reach the word with the gospel, but he forgot to call enough people. I have to believe that churches are full of people that God wants to use to a greater degree. We're just way too comfortable to be fully submitted. Now, when we talk about surrender, we're talking about an unconditional willingness to serve God in whatever capacity he deems fit. That's what surrender looks like. And again, godly men in our church have exhibited this. Godly women in our church have exhibited this desire to serve. I got a list of a dozen guys that I said, I got a pile of rocks that I need you to move from point A to point B. And when you dump those rocks, I need you to pick them back up and put them back where you found them. And every single one of those 12 people would say, on it. Not like, why are we hauling rocks? Why do we got to do this? You know, Trey would be organizing a team to move his rocks for him. But, <laughs> but again, hey, if I can serve moving rocks, I want to move some rocks. I love that. I, I led the music for the first six years of our church, almost seven years of our church. I led music every single Sunday. I asked John Stoker, John, would you be willing to take over the, the, the congregational leading of music? And he said to me, he said, uh, let me put some thought into it, Pastor. 
And within five seconds, he said, nope, I'll do it. I said, no, you can think about it if you need to. If you need to pray about it, talk it over with your wife. He goes, no, if you need me to do it, I want to do it. And I love it. And, and for anybody who's been here in length of time, you've seen John grow, uh, you know, uh, in, in his excitement and his com- comfort level of uh, being used of God in that area. Man, I love it. Uh, I love the opportunity to, to be able to worship God with his people and not have to leave music. Man, what an opportunity for him to be able to serve in that capacity. And so many other people have stepped up and stepped into roles and said, hey, if God could use me in that capacity, I want to do it. Many of our small group leaders wouldn't consider themselves uh, great leaders or great small group leaders, but they were willing to step into a role and willing to grow. I remember when I asked Larry Gregory to lead the, the Deeper Roots group. He was just like, Pastor, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Okay, I'm telling you to, to teach. Okay. And no lie. Larry probably doesn't mind me telling this. If he does, uh, I'll hug him later. Uh, no lie. Larry would get the notes early, and him and Buffy would review them together and talk through them, and he would come and lead his small group. Like He, he would spend hours preparing. And just this past Wednesday night, I sat over here while Larry led his group, and I thought to myself, this dude is crushing it over here. The dude has grown so much in the last six years of being able to teach God's word to people and love people and encourage people every single week. But when I asked him to do it, he says, Pastor, I'm not really a teacher, but if you want me to do it, I'll do it. It's that spirit of surrender that God wants to use. Again, it's not a matter of God wants people that are super qualified or really good or super good looking or, or know a lot of stuff. God just wants people who are willing to be used. I think of Isaiah when it came time to uh, do a work for God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 8. Isaiah said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. And you see me indeed, but you perceive not. Okay, Isaiah, if you're willing to go, here's the message you need to give. He said, okay. But here's what God said. Who will I send to go? Who's going to do this? And Isaiah goes, I'll go. Okay, great. Here's what you need to go and tell them. And that's how Isaiah went. Now, again, a little bit easier, audibly being able to hear God, but I think God's saying the same thing to you and I today. Who's going to go into our city to reach people for the gospel? And I think all of us need to be ready to say, I'll go. It's always interesting to me, people who want to go to other countries and spread the gospel and do mission work, but they won't tell their coworker about Jesus. Like, wait, what? What you're not doing at home, you're not going to do in, in Germany and Poland or something like that. Like, hey, look, if you love Jesus and are sharing Jesus here, you're going to go wherever you go and share Jesus. That's how, that's how the Christian life works. But you can't take somebody who's a deadbeat Christian here we're going to send them overseas to be what, a deadbeat Christian in a foreign country? That doesn't help anybody. Come on. So again, I believe the calling of a pastor begins, first of all, with a willingness to fulfill that role. Again, pastoral calling is, is solidified by an unwavering desire to serve other people as a shepherd. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1, when it talks about the qualifications of a pastor. Again, we took a look at how the word pastor and bishop can be used interchangeably there. If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Two interesting words that are found in that, in that verse there. First of all, desires. There has to be a compulsion in the pit of your stomach that I want to be used of God. I want God to use my life. And if I can use my life to help people to fix their problems from the Bible, sign me up for that because I can't fathom anything greater that I could possibly do with my life. So it begins with a desire. I don't believe anybody should be involved in pastoral ministry work if they have not been called and have a desire to do it. Because again, here's the thing. If you don't want to do it, you shouldn't do it. 
Now, again, not a thing like, are you willing to step out of your comfort zone? It's uncomfortable for me every single time I have to stand behind this pulpit and tell you what the Bible says. Uncomfortable 100% of the time. But I do it because it's what God's called me to do. I enjoy it because the Bible is the only thing that will help our society today. It's the only thing that's going to fix your life. It's the only thing that's going to fix my life. It's the only hope that we have for our children is the Word of God. So I, I am greatly privileged to be able to tell you what the Bible says. Do I, do I enjoy public speaking? I hate it with every fiber of my being. I don't like it at all. But there's a compulsion in me to help people fix their life from the Bible. A calling, if you will. Now, again, I know that word calling is, is, have been used or misused in certain instances. I know people who are like, oh, I got called to preach when I was in seventh grade at teen camp. And I remember the, my freshman year of high school, I got called to pastor. Okay, that's not my story. It's not my life. I don't, first of all, I don't find that in, in Scripture anywhere. I wouldn't take away from your experience. But that's not necessarily how we find it in Scripture. Paul says if anybody desires the office of a pastor, he desires a good work. And here's what he has to make sure that he fulfills in his life. So again, I think, it, first of all, it begins with a desire to help people, to shepherd people from the Bible. Now again, every pastor doesn't have to preach on a Sunday morning behind a pulpit. Trey stepping into a pastoral role doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be preaching from the pulpit as often. It means he's going to be given a new opportunity now to shepherd people in maybe a different avenue or a different place or a different way than he had before. It's also a recognition of our church, of the gifting and calling upon his life. That God's called him to fulfill this type of role in our church family. When it comes down to, to the desire to, to serve, look, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. If our church could not afford to pay me a salary, I would deliver pizzas during the, the evening so that I could pastor during the day. That's how compelled I am. If I couldn't afford it, I would work two and three jobs to be able to, to serve and love and shepherd this church because that's how important it is to me. And when God called me, I committed my life to helping people find Jesus and walk with Jesus with their life. My goal as your pastor is to help you meet Jesus one day in joy, not in judgment or regret. That's my plan. And there's something inside of me that won't let that go. That, I believe, is a calling but it's not some, some weird mystical thing. You don't hear voices. You didn't see a light from heaven. You didn't have to go forward at, a, at a, a preaching service and kneel at an altar. You didn't have to talk about some calling or how uh, your grandma told you this was always going to happen or things like that. It's a matter of could God use me in this capacity of so I'm willing and able to fulfill that role. The pastoral candidates calling and equipping will be validated by church leadership. We saw this in Acts chapter 13 where the the pastors and the church leaders of the church gathered together. They looked at the life of Paul and Barnabas, and they said, these guys are already getting the work done here. We see God's gifting upon their life. We recognize that, and we send them out by validating the fact that they have been uh, called by this. And it's interesting, to, as you look through Scripture, when God calls people to his work, he's not looking for the people that are the most equipped when Jesus called his apostles, he didn't go into the temple to find people who really knew the Old Testament. Where did he go? He went to find fishermen. He went to find tax collectors. He went to find people who could just obey and take orders. And what did he do? Those people turned the world upside down. And so you might be saying, well, I'm not really well equipped. Yeah, Moses had a lot of excuses too. Well, yeah, I don't see myself in that role. Well, what do you see your role as? 
Are you limiting what God sees in you or what God wants from you? Again, we're not fully submitted and surrendered to God. And this goes for everybody, not necessarily pastoral candidates. We're not fully submitted to God when we say, I'm willing to serve God in this box, but not outside of this box. That's not submitted and surrendered. And for those of us that are members here at Who We Call a Baptist Church, I'm going to ask from you in the next 60 days for you to step outside of your box of comfort because we need your help. Beginning the 1st of, of July, this is the first time announcement ever that we've announced this in our church. Starting in the beginning of July, our uh, Sunday morning services, 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., we're going to have children's ministry at both hours. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Kathleen claps. Uh, Kathleen, you might not be clapping when we get this thing started, okay? <laughs> Kathleen Church and Children's Ministry. So uh, here, here's the thing. We've gotten to almost capacity in our main auditorium in the 10 o'clock service because the majority of people that are here have kids. If you have kids, you want to come to the 10 o'clock service. And so the 8 o'clock service comes with people who either don't want to put their kids in, in children's ministry or people who don't have kids. And so what that's done also, unintended effect, is it's almost fractured our church that if you have kids, you don't know people at the 8 o'clock service, which is a bummer. And so we're trying to fix that. But here's the thing. Right now, in, in, on, at the 10 o'clock service, we have 14 people serving in children's ministry, 14. If we do that at two separate hours, we might need 14 more children's ministry workers. Or we might need seven at different hours. I'm not sure. But here's the fact of the matter. We need people who are willing to help in children's ministry. And you might say, that's outside my box. Good. This is an opportunity for you to grow. It really is. And so some of you, I might ask you in the next couple of weeks, would you be willing to serve in children's ministry? And I hope the answer to that would be, I would love to serve God however I could be used. Now, you might say, that's outside of my wheelhouse, it's outside of my comfort. And here's the thing too, I don't want you watching kids if you hate kids. And so let's just say that. If you're terrible at it, we don't want to put you in there, that's fine. Uh, I'll give you a pass. Uh, all of us aren't cut out for it. But if you just say it might be a little bit uncomfortable for me, sometimes God grows us in those uncomfortable areas. And I know for me, stepping into a pastoral role was a little bit of an uncomfortable area for me, for sure. We take a look at the equipping of God comes from God as we're submitted and surrendered to Him. Ministry calling will be a powerful reminder of one's duty when times get difficult. I can't tell you how many times here at Who We Call, things have gotten tough. And I just have to remember God called me to reach this city. God called me to plant this church. God called me to lead and shepherd and feed and guide and encourage and help this church. And I can't quit on what God has called me to do. Well, it's hard. Then knuckle up and get it done. It's inconvenient. Yeah, so's the Christian life. Well, what if people don't like what I do? You're not doing it for them, you're doing it for Jesus. And again, when times get difficult, I have to go back and say, this is what I've been called to do. I can't do anything else. You know, sometimes in our small groups, we might ask a question like, oh, what would you do if you weren't doing your current job? I have no idea. I really don't. I served in IT for 18 years before I, I became a pastor. I had no desire to go back to changing passwords and swapping out keyboards, for heaven's sakes. No desire to go back to that. Here's what I want to do. I want to help people with the Bible with my life. What would I do if I weren't doing that? I don't know. I really don't. But it comes down to, uh, is this what God has called me to do? If so, then I need to push forward. Parents, your, your calling is a calling to raise your children for Jesus. When it gets hard, you just need to knuckle up and get through it. Husbands and wife, your calling is to, to show Jesus Christ and his love for his church through your marriage. When life gets tough, you need to knuckle up and just get through it because you're called to it. 
again, this applies in so many areas of the Christian life, but somehow we get in our mind when things get hard, I need to look for a quick exit. No, you need to find out a way to stay in the fight and get through it. And again, for pastors, if, if, if I got into this because I thought it would be fun, the first time it's not fun, I'm looking for an exit. If I got in this because I thought people would like me more, the first time I get hateful, ugly emails and notes and letters, then I'm discouraged and I want to quit because I just wanted people to like me. If I got into this because I thought it would make me richer, then first of all, I'm a hireling, and second of all, my motives will eventually be exposed, and I'm going to be looking for something with a better payout. But if God's called me to this, which he has, I got nothing else I could do with my life. This is it. This is where I want to be. And when, when we planted Who We Call, I asked God to give me 25 years here as a pastor of this church. I'll be 62 by then. I know I look like I'm 62 already, but I'm not. I'm only 44, okay? So cut me some slack. I got a, little, I got a, I got a few miles left on this engine, all right? But here's the thing. I got, no, I got no desire to go anywhere else. I'm not looking for another opportunity. Pastors all the time are looking for the next opportunity. Oh, I got this church and I grew it to, to you know, 300. I'm going to go to the next church of 300 and grow it to 500. I'm going to the next church and, and I'll have a staff and I got to have a building. I'll have a property paid for and things like that. Hey, I'm not looking at any of that. I'm looking for how I can stay here and be used to a greater degree for the kingdom until I die. That's what calling does for you. And a pastor must be qualified, but a pastor also must be called. Pastoral ordination, which is what's taking place next Sunday night, is the formal appointment for pastoral ministry. <clears throat> it's the church gathering together and saying, we recognize this candidate has met all of the qualifications, has exhibited the character necessary, and this person has our full approval to serve in the role of pastoral ministry because they meet the qualifications and they've exhibited the character necessary to carry that out. We find this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 14. Paul says to him, Neglect not the gift that's in thee, which was given thee by the prophecy, which with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. And remember that word presbytery can be used for pastors. So here, some pastors have laid hands upon Timothy, and Timothy, you can't forget your calling that was recognized by the pastors, the pastoral leadership in your life. Paul tells Titus in Titus chapter 1 before he gives him the qualifications of the pastor. Hey, Titus, for this cause I left you in Crete that you might ordain elders in every city and set in order the things that are lacking. And so, Titus, I want you to go to every city. I want you to identify men that fit these qualifications, that have this character, that can perform this function and role, and I want you to set them in appointment to the office of a pastor that the ordination should take place here. In this case, in the early days of the church, uh, Titus was to, to find these people in every city. When we talk about ordination, we're talking about appointing, consecrating, or commissioning of persons for a special service to the Lord and his people. Some churches also ordain deacons. Uh, we've never actually done that at Huicala. The, the people that have served uh, in our capacity just fit the biblical qualification. We ask them to. Um, and so uh, I don't know that it's a necessity as much as it is for the office of a pastor, the office of a deacon, that they be ordained. But they definitely still have to meet the biblical qualifications of that. When we talk about uh, the, the word ordination, it comes from, from the Latin word ordinaire, which means to appoint to office. The Latin word is where we get our word for ordain. It's to appoint someone to office. The Greek word that's used in the, uh, uh, the New Testament for this is the Greek word katatesis, which means to appoint or to put in charge of. 
And so for us, the ordination process is to say that this particular person has met the criteria and the qualifications of the office of a pastor, and we're here today appointing them to the office of a pastor. Again, this is a really, really big deal. How many of you before have ever been to a church service where there was an ordination service? Raise your hand. How many people have seen that? Like 10, 10 or so. Man, next Sunday is going to be a really big deal. You will not want to miss out on that. And so just to kind of give you an idea, we'll talk about that later, exactly what that's going to entail. But Old Testament, we see the, the precedence for ordination. We see this take place in the ord, uh, ordination in the Old Testament, the consecration of Aaron and his sons as priests before God. Uh, so we find that in the, the book of Exodus, chapter 28 and 29, uh, setting them aside, again, to be used by God. Next is the dedication of the Levites as servants of God. And so, the, again, there was a special group of people who would serve God in a unique priestly capacity. Those were the Levites, and they were set apart or ordained or consecrated uh, for ministry. We see uh, 70 elders that were appointed to help Moses. Moses got to the point where he could not handle everything on his own, and so they took 70 men and set them aside and referred to them as elders, guys who would be set apart for this particular work to, to be able to help Moses, uh, to be able to guide uh, the children of Israel. We also see Joshua uh, being taken over as Moses' successor in Numbers chapter 27. Uh, Joshua was, was ordained to be the leader over Israel at that point. And so again, Old Testament precedents that we see that when we come to the New Testament and we see the word ordain, we have some uh, sense of reference in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, pastors are ordained by local churches. They're not ordained by, by colleges or Bible colleges. They're not ordained by, uh, by boards or groups or committees. They're ordained by the local church. How do we know if, if Trey can fulfill the roles of a pastor? Hopefully you've been watching his life over the last year. Most of you have had some level of interaction with him where you've had him investing in your life or you've seen him investing in the life of someone else or you've been a, a part of something that he, he's been overseeing or providing uh, some uh, sense of administration to. And you look and you say, man, I see it. I, I recognize that gift. I recognize uh, the, the, the character uh, in his life. I see that the, he meets the qualifications here. And so the local New Testament church does that. Uh, you don't just get, again, the title of a pastor by graduating from college or taking over a role in a church of leading a particular ministry. Uh, we took a look at this uh, last week when we talked about uh, shepherds need sheep. And if you're going to be a pastor of any uh, role in the church, there has to be people that you're shepherding and providing oversight to. Uh, one of our guys didn't believe me when I said there's, there are pastors of facilities, which they have no sheep, therefore you can't shepherd facilities because they're not sheep. And he came up to me after the service and he said, 749. I go, what does that even mean, 749? It's the number of facility pastor positions that are open on Indeed.com right now. And I thought to myself, heavens. He goes, I thought you were making that up. Dude, I'm totally not making that up. And but to think that your pastor would like make stuff up from the pulpit. Come on, right? <laughs> but again, when we talk about having a title, being recognized as the office of a pastor, or being ordained to, to pastoral ministry, it's a really big deal. So here's how it, it works out as far as the, uh, the ordination process goes in our church. Uh, first of all, the ordination council determines the pastoral candidate, meets the stringent requirements of the pastoral office. Now, the, the ordination council will be myself, our deacons, Tim Miller, John Stoker, and Pastor Chris Chadwick, who was Trey's previous pastor in San Diego. The four of us make up the ordination council. And so before we ever even began to discuss ordination, does he meet these requirements? Before Trey had ever was ever even considered to be interviewed to be a pastoral assistant here, 
does he meet the biblical qualifications for the pastor? Because, again, the, the idea was always to have more pastoral staff here at Huikala to provide more oversight, to provide more shepherding, to provide more leading and feeding, more disciple-making. That was always the goal. So we wouldn't hire someone who's not biblically qualified to fulfill this office or doesn't have the character or the competence to fulfill that. The uh, council not only ensures doctrinal fidelity, but it also examines character as well. So we don't just take into account, hey, does he meet these biblical qualifications? Uh, does he know the Bible? The question is, does his character meet up as well? And so uh, next Saturday morning, you don't get to attend this. That would be really cool if we could do that. That might put a little extra pressure on him. He'll have an ordination council next Saturday morning. And so the four men on his ordination council will sit down and will say, hey, tell us your testimony of how you got saved. Hey, tell me about your walk with God. Hey, tell me about your call to ministry. What does that mean to you? What does that look like? Tell us about the role of a pastor and what, what the job of a pastor is. Tell us your view on biblical inspiration. What does that mean? What are your thoughts on the premillennial, pre-tribulation rapture of the church? What are your thoughts on superlapsarianism? Like, what? Oh, Trey, you might be writing that one down. Super. <laughs> Could you spell that for me? Super. Again, we're going to say, does this guy know the Bible? Secondly, we're going to examine his character as well. Hey, tell me about how you love your wife. Tell me about how you disciple your kids. What would you do in a situation that this particular thing happened in the church? How would, how would you process through this knowing what you know and knowing what you see in Scripture? And again, it's not going to be a cute little like a 10-minute uh, chit-chat where we talk. It's going to be a board of people making sure that he meets these requirements. You say, well, what happens if he doesn't meet the requirements? Then there's no ordination service and we'll have a lot of extra punch and cupcakes left over. After. I don't know. Hopefully somebody has a birthday next week and we can just call it a birthday party. Now, I'm, I'm being facetious. But would we not ordain him if he didn't meet the qualifications? We would not ordain him if he didn't meet the qualifications, 100%. If something came out in that that he didn't meet the qualifications, we're not going to move forward, that's for sure. Well, that would be embarrassing. I'll take embarrassment over disobedience to God any day of the week. So he's going to meet those biblical requirements. And here's the thing, if I didn't believe that he would, we wouldn't even be having this conversation to begin with. But it's the formal process of us recognizing not only his doctrinal standing, but also his character as well. Ordination Council recommends a candidate to the church body for pastoral appointment. So next Sunday night, uh, Pastor Chadwick will preach. I will preach uh, together. If you've never seen tag team preaching before, that's going to be fun. Not, not, nobody's going to be jumping off the top ropes or anything like that. But um, he'll preach, then I'll preach. Then after that, our deacons will make a recommendation to the church family that this candidate meets the biblical requirements that they have gone through an appropriate ordination council and have had a successful vote in their favor. After that, the church body validates the findings of the council and votes to appoint the candidate to the office of a pastor. So again, our deacons say, we're nominating Trey for the, the office of pastoral ministry, and we'll take a vote as a church whether or not we actually validate that. And let me just tell you, there won't be a no vote that day, right? Because there's always that one kid in the back that's like, no, and like everybody laughs, and uh, we're not going to do that. But here's the thing, we would never, uh, but it's a, a point that we as a church affirm. 
his character, his competence, his calling, his qualifications to be able to fulfill this role. That's why, again, I say to people, this is such a big deal. And you're like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just a different type of service. Huge deal. Huge deal. Because we as a church family are saying, here is a man that meets these qualifications that can fulfill this role. And we put our faith and assurance in God's word that he can fulfill this role and do it well. So uh, then we, uh, as a church, vote to appoint that candidate to pastoral ministry. Then the ordination council prays for and lays hands on the candidate, consecrating them to pastoral ministry. Uh, This is a a biblical precedent that we see the laying on of hands. Now, I want to be really clear as to to what the laying on of hands is and is not. Uh, Laying on of hands is not a mystical transfer of spirit ritual, but rather it's an act of affirmation and encouragement. In Scripture, when someone wanted to affirm, I'm with you, one of the ways that they did it is they placed their hand upon them. We as Christians do this sometimes. Usually when I'm praying with another man or praying with a couple, I'll put my arm around them or I'll put my hand up on them and pray them. Not some weird transfer of, 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 of power or anything mystical or supernatural or weird. It's just say, hey, brother, hey, sister, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm on your side. I'm affirming what's taking place in your life right now. And so uh, next Sunday night after the... Uh, the preaching has been heard after the deacons make the recommendation, after the church is voted. Uh, Trey will come up and we'll kneel and we'll place hands on, on Trey and pray for him. This is a recognition that the spiritual leadership of our church recognizes the spiritual leadership in this candidate, therefore affirming them and appointing them to the office of the pastor. Now, Paul tells Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, lay hands on no man suddenly. Neither be partakers of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. In other words, this idea of of appointing people to pastoral ministry is not something to be taken flippantly. Even placing your hand upon someone and affirming them shouldn't be done flippantly. Uh, Again, when we talk about the office of a pastor, high calling, high role, high strict responsibility that we have to make sure that we're doing what we need to do and that this person meets these qualifications. So that'll take place uh, next week. I have a photo of me and my pastor and my pastoral ordination in 2012. I think we have a photo. We got a photo, Carla? There better be. All right, there we go. That's me and my pastor. You're like, which one's you? I'm the guy on the right with the blue tie. Uh, That's me. That was 2012. That was my ordination ceremony. Uh, Again, who ordains people? Local churches do. I was was ordained at the Lancaster Baptist Church in October of 2012, Uh, probably Less than a uh, year later, we would plant who we call about this church. Uh, almost, almost about a, a year to the day, uh, we planted who we call about this church. That's my pastor. Some of you have met him before. Some of you haven't. Uh, he'll be out here for our 10-year anniversary, preaching uh, that weekend for our 10-year anniversary next year. I'm trying to get him out here this year if we can get our schedules lined up and stuff like that. Uh, my pastor who ordained me uh, made sure that I met the qualifications, made sure that my character was up to snuff. He watched me for probably three years to make sure that, that my character led. He made sure that I was making disciples and there were people where I was able to help people uh, to follow Jesus. And he recognized that in my life. Uh, I was taken before an ordination council. Uh, our ordination council, we had probably 30 deacons on it. Uh, so 30 deacons and probably, I don't know, six pastoral staff and asking every question you can imagine under the sun. Uh, and, and I passed that with flying colors. Uh, and then I was ordained uh, in the, the service at the Lancaster Baptist Church. I think the, the next uh, uh, slide... Yeah, that's, that's my ordination. Uh, that's, that's, uh, oh, that's my wife right there. With a, that's me right there. Uh, that's me laying on of hands, praying, uh, ordination uh, service there. And then the next slide I think we have is a picture of uh, my family. 
Oh, look at us, right? That looks pretty much the same, I think. Uh, pretty much the same. Um, Michele's gotten a little bit larger. Uh, Van's gotten a little bit bigger. Uh, but uh, that was us. Uh, that was the night of my pastoral ordination. It was, it was a really, really big deal. Because for me, I recognize that night from here going forward, my life's going to be different forever. Like, I'm held to a higher level of accountability. God's asking more from me. God's asking more from my family now because I've been given the opportunity to serve in the office of a pastor. And it's something not to be taken lightly. So next Sunday night is going to be a really, really big deal. Uh, I hope you'll pray for Trey and pray for his family because, again, stepping into this role is a huge deal. And so I want us as a church family to recognize that and be in prayer for him. And uh, probably at the end of the service, we'll gather together and have a word of prayer for him and his family during that time before uh, we head out. But uh, it's a big deal. And so for, for me, I remember that like it was yesterday. I could take you to the spot on the carpet that I was standing where that photo was taken. That's how big of a deal it was for me. And, and again, from that point forward, my life would never be the same. Now, going forward, what does it mean? Does it mean that you have to, to call Trey Pastor Trey? You can if you want to, if you want to, because he fills, fills the role. You can call him Trey. Uh, you can call him Pastor Trey, whatever you want to call him. You can call him Pastor William, Pastor Dub, if you want. I like Pastor Dub. Uh, one of my favorite. Now, at the end of the day, do titles matter? Not really a whole lot. The work that they do matters. And so, again, the, the office of a pastor that he'll be stepping into, is a, it's an office of respect and it's an office of honor for sure. But uh, make no mistake, going forward, if somebody says, hey, pastor said this, they're talking about me, okay? Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, I stand before God for this church. Trey now is taking on a share of that responsibility before God for this church as well. It's interesting, too, when you take a look at, at pastoral leadership in the Bible, is there one pastor that's above others and things like that? Some churches have what they call a, a council of, of equals where every pastor in the church is on the same footing. The problem with that is it's very difficult to get anything done uh, because everything has to go to a committee and everything has to go to a vote. If we take a look at the church at the, in the book of uh, Acts and the church at Jerusalem, uh, we find that there were multiple pastors there when there became an issue that arose, uh, meat offered to idols. They, everybody kind of talked about it and discussed it a little bit. But at the end of the day, James says, hey, guys, here's what we're going to do moving forward. Here's the position that the church takes, and here's how we handle this going forward. And so we see there a multitude of pastors gave their input, but at the end of the day, one guy made the final call and was on the hook for Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.